Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. So we are in a series of Lent, um, and some people grew up probably practicing Lent, and other people don't know what Lent is. But Lent is essentially an anticipation of Easter. Uh, it, it starts with Ash Wednesday, which is like about a week and a half ago, and it goes till Easter. And the idea is that you don't get to, to the resurrection too fast, that you actually want to take the time to understand what happened uh, in, the, in the weeks leading up to Jesus' death on the cross and the subsequent resurrection three days later. And so uh, we have named this series um, Longing for Rebirth. And so it's this idea of we're, we're longing for the resurrection. So we're going to take a journey on what kind of the, the journey, what we would call journey of baptism. And so last week we talked about an invitation. This week we're going to talk about our need for Jesus. And then we'll continue on in a series as we go. And so, like I said, I'm going to speak on our need for Jesus, which may seem kind of uh, a little bit strange to speak that word over a church that where most people here probably believe in Jesus and feel like they need Jesus. But I, I sense that after a year in a pandemic, um, a, a year away from one another, a, a year from, uh, of difficulties and trials, that we may actually need to hear this word. And I think our, con- our culture and our context may view our need for Jesus in a different way than I think um, Christians should and, and, and might. So why do we need Jesus? I have three points. That's like a really good preacher thing. When you're in school for, to become a pastor, they tell you, come up with three really good points. Not four, not two, not one, but three. So today I have three. And uh, you can follow along with me on the slides. Um, uh, and, and the scripture passage will be up there as well. The first is, why do we need Jesus? We need Jesus because Jesus is the truth. Because the resurrection happened in history. Now that second part may seem a little strange. Why did I need to add because the resurrection happened in history? And I want to start off by telling you about a person that I talked to a few years ago from Uptown. He was this guy in the community and he was really happy to talk to me. He was a really nice guy. I really enjoyed our conversation. But he was more than happy to, to share his spiritual perspectives with me without me really even asking. He just found out that I was a pastor and he was more than happy to share what he believed. And he had been raised in a conservative religious home, yet in our conversation proudly dismissed traditional Christianity. And his statement was this. It was because I I reject Christianity uh, with its faith about Jesus, because it's faith about Jesus. And he said his reason was is is that they substituted belief for reason. It was interesting that he said that because then later on in the conversation he shared that he was actually a very spiritual person. And I said, well, how are you a spiritual person? And he said, well, I practice meditation and I, I do yoga and I, I, I'm one with nature and, and kind of believe in this, the mother, mother nature over all of creation. And he also used a Ouija board, which I thought was like, these are all very interesting elements. But he said, this is what works for me. These are true for him. It may not work for you, but it's true for me. And so we live in a culture and context. I'm sure many of you have heard people say that before. Maybe you've even said those words yourselves to others about your personal religious beliefs. And we live in a culture that's highly spiritual, but doesn't believe that spirituality goes beyond much much of our own personal experience. 
See, most of people that we encounter in our world are brought up to say, do whatever makes you feel happy and gives you peace and uh, gives you some sort of meaning and significance in the world. And I would say yes and amen. Like, those are good things, right? So hold those things, but that just may be your thing. The rest of the world is guided by this kind of, by, by uh, reason, by naturalism. And so, um, I think most people in our context and culture are looking for an inner spirituality that we can, uh, like, which is all about what we feel and think deep within our own individual souls. Spirituality is inward. It's based on our own experience, based on what we can dream up in our own minds, what makes sense of the world to us. And that's really what spirituality is. It's for us. It's not necessarily for other people. And, does, and as long as it doesn't bother others, it, it can be true for me, and no one really should reject it or judge it. That's kind of the mindset of spirituality when we think about it on a grand scale in our culture. And this makes sense on the surface, right? I mean, these are good things. We want to, to feel like there's significance and meaning in our lives. We want to be uh, filled with peace and, and love and harmony with other people in the world. And on top of that, you don't have to disagree with anybody. You don't have to uh, tell anyone that their conclusions or about their experience might be untrue. You don't have to debate anyone to tell them uh, about the merits of their beliefs. All that matters is it works for them. And so I, I want to approach this kind of from like a, a negative perspective and then more of a positive perspective. The negative side of things, the, 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 the person to me that's a little bit, I don't know, rough around the edges would say, but when you actually think about this, don't you think that's a little bit odd? That every single person can kind of have their own personal belief systems and those things are, are true for them but not true for, for others. It's like we all have these contradictory beliefs, right? Some people believe in hundreds or thousands or millions of gods. Some people believe in one god. Some people believe in, um, in, in Buddhism. Some people believe in Hinduism. Some people, uh, you know, like think that it's a good practice to, to to, to use Ouija boards, other people would say that that's like satanic and wrong. And so they're conflicting ideas that don't really make sense when you, when you think about them, putting them all together. I think that the underlying assumption is that, in, that nothing is really true about our spirituality. We're all just kind of pretending. Like if we're really honest about what we say, we're all just pretending. We're trying to find significance where there is no significance. We're trying to find meaning in the world where there really is no meaning. And we're all really just pretending that our spirituality, not pretending, spirituality helps, but we're just really pretending that it's true at all. But Scripture teaches us something very different than just whatever makes you feel good. Scripture teaches us that we don't naturally... Um, give, it says in John 3, like, the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. So like the Holy Spirit in us gives birth to the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our hearts and in our inner bodies. But our flesh, what we think, what we concoct in our own minds and in our own hearts and our own inner being is actually leaves more to flesh. And so the idea is that it creates that we are naturally confused, that our, our hearts are easily deceived, they're captivated by idols and darkness. Jeremiah declares in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart, our inner being, which is the mind, being, will, desire, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think that what Jeremiah is saying is that we often, in our spirituality, look for a God we can manage rather than the God that's actually there. And the scriptures are so different than this. They speak about God in a way that's not just what you sense and feel in your inner being, 
but as this reality outside of ourselves. So the true God, instead of calling us inward, calls us outdoors, outside of our own feelings and experiences into a history where we cannot ascend to God on our own, but rather that the God of the universe descends down to us in the person of Jesus. The Christians aren't simply Christians because it works, but because it's also true. That Jesus actually lived a life, that he died the death that we deserved, and he was raised to life in real time in history. And this means that he exists outside of our own personal desires and experience. It means that instead of us telling God what God is like, we can't control God. We can't determine God. We can't dictate morality to God. Simply put, if Jesus is a historical figure that conquered the grave, then we can't determine our own truth because Jesus is the truth. It means there's an objective reality, not simply a subjective inward reality. It means that the God of history exists outside of our own minds and bodies and ideas and natural desires. And it's because, as the scripture says, we're bent in on ourselves that we need to receive an external word, not just an internal word. If flesh gives birth to flesh, then we need an external word where the spirit can speak into us that will give birth to the spirit. One that stops our inward bent, that stops our spin and gives us new hearts and new minds and new desires. And the positive side about spirituality, I, I think, is this. Is that what I think the reason that people come up with spirituality is even though they may not actually believe that, that everybody else's spirituality is true, is that we do have this something inside of us that says there's more, right? And I think that's what the spirituality in our culture, the high dose and like so many people that have their, like their own personal spirituality, it's, it's speaking to a, a felt need that almost every person I've ever talked to has is that they have uh, this, this, this desire for something more. That there's some meaning out there that they can't figure out. And so their spirituality helps them get there. And so we have this general revelation that there's more to life. Yet we need a special revelation. A special revelation about the surprising God known uniquely in his son, Jesus. So I think spirituality, in a lot of ways, works perfectly with naturalism because you can have this, this meaning and this significance and you can kind of, as a whole, just live your life based off of reason and belief and, and all these things. So you kind of like put this to the side and it's your own personal thing and then you live in a world where you live in naturalism, right? Where reason is king and it's about, you, religion doesn't really cross into the public square at all. And so you actually see this taking place in Christian circles as well. So the phrase is you often hear probably growing up and even in our church before, it's like you need to accept Jesus into your heart. That's actually not something that's in the Bible, but we always say that we need to accept Jesus into our heart. And it's this phrase that kind of alludes to the idea that there's this inward thing, which is true, but it's this inward reality, the spirituality that comes, it's you and between you and Jesus and it kind of fits into this perfect island of subjective individualism, which our age has relegated faith. But then I think there's another side. And Christians don't want to just assume that they're the same thing as everybody else is practicing, just the spirituality. And so then there's another side of people that say, well, actually what we need to do is we need to show how our faith can fit in the world with naturalism. And so what they do is they, they focus less on um, 
so-called like inward spirituality, and they actually downplay the biblical miracles. Or maybe they describe prayer as just practicing some sort of silence, or the kingdom of God is primarily a manifesto of social reform, and Jesus is a great teacher. Maybe it's about getting good advice and instead of the miraculous good news. Deeds are good, but creeds are dangerous. And so the pressure for us is to conform our faith to the rules of naturalism, which is powerful. But I think what makes Christianity unique, I really do believe what makes it unique in the world, is that Christianity is declaring it's a historical event. It's not just something that you can experience if you do these things, but that the, the, the God of the universe descended down to us. So this idea that, like we would say, for example, uh, world, take World War II. If I said to you, uh, yeah, you know, like, I, I really enjoy reading about um, D-Day. And the person said, well, I, I, that actually didn't, that, that's maybe true for you, but that's not true for me. And you'd be like, what do you mean? Like World War II, it's like true for you, but it's not true for me. And you'd be like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, a, like something that actually happened in history. We have all kinds of evidence. We have all kinds of historical accounts. We have reasons to, you know, we have video evidence of things, right? All, and so you wouldn't say that this is just like true for, for me and not true for you. It's a historical event. And that's what Christianity is claiming at the core. It's claiming that, that not just that there is a spirituality that you can find a, a God of the universe that's out there. We're saying that God has descended down. Instead of talking about faith on a philosophical or moral level, let's talk about it on a historical level, namely that Jesus rose from the dead. And we have to determine whether we believe that that is true, if the history dictates that. And this would force Christian faith out into the open, beyond the walls of personal spirituality, and exposed to public criticism. It would become a public faith. So when we say that we need Jesus, we aren't just saying that, because of our private sentiments, though those are very, very important. I don't want to dismiss that. I just want to say I think that there's more. But we are basing our belief in Jesus because of these historical claims, because we believe that Jesus actually descended down. And we can say where everyone else in the world says, well, we don't really know what God is like, so maybe we're getting a piece of God in our own spirituality. Christians are claiming something profoundly different that we can't actually know what God is like. We do know what God is like if we believe in the resurrection because Scripture tells us even more than just this general revelation of like there's some sort of meaning out there. That it even gives us words. The Scripture tells us more. God stoops to our capacity, accommodating our understanding. We know him by his works, not simply his essence. We know that Jesus is merciful because Jesus acted mercifully. And we know that what Jesus did and, and who Jesus was is what God is like. Jesus acted mercifully in history, in his life, and at the cross. We find a God where he has descended to us in the humility of a feeding trough and at the cross. And so I believe that it's important for us to remember that we need Jesus because Jesus is the truth. That's what he claims in John 4, 6, 14, 6. I'm the way and the truth and the life. So that's the first reason. The second reason that we need Jesus is because we need to be saved. Again, I think we seek for truth in, 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 within ourselves. And I think what that shows is, is that there is a God that is there and that we're all trying to recognize. There's this revelation that there's more to this life than what meets the eye. 
But I think when we look for that truth inwardly, we begin to see that sin is ultimately the sovereignty of self. And we are at the center of all things instead of God being at the center of all things. And so it's making ourselves at the center, the sovereign uh, ones, the ones that can make God be whatever we want God to be, is the ultimate sign of sin, is the ultimate sign of our rejection of God because God should hold the center, should dictate to us the way that we should act, the way that we should live, what we should believe. Of course, many people do reject this idea of sin, and I get it. It's hard to look inwardly and say that uh, you're uh, a, a sinner, especially when you look around the world and you can find a bunch of people that are worse than you. Isn't that true? Like you start looking around and you're like, wow, I'm a pretty good person. And so you might just say, you know what, what's needed is we just need to care about um, injustice in the world and inequality and we need to stay engaged with what's happening in the world with this whole idea of kind of personal sin. And I would say, I agree, like we need to fight for justice. We need to be engaged in bringing about equality in our, our world. But I, I, I do think if we kind of hold to this naturalistic way of seeing the world, it doesn't naturally go towards justice, does it? Like if the world was, was created and it was, you know, it's, it's this big bang and it was billions of years long and the whole thing and the whole time has been like the survival of the fittest doesn't automatically, then we get to the 21st century and everyone says we should be kind to one another, right? And we should make it all equal. It, it doesn't naturally come from that perspective of the world. It's not obvious that we should be kind to one another. And so I think what happens sometimes is that people that are not Christians would take what's, what's Christian and they culturally appropriate those truths from the Christian tradition, strip it of its context, and use it for their own purposes. I think if anybody was really truly honest, we would look at the world and we'd say, things are not right. They're not the way that they should be. We've seen that more than ever this last year. But that general understanding of the world not being right is not enough. We need this special revelation from Jesus because things are actually much more dire than we see. See, we don't just need to be a little bit better, to have a, bit, a little bit more heightened moral compass or give better advice. The scriptures say that we need to be saved. The Bible speaks of Jesus coming as a rescue project, not just a teacher coming to give good advice. The scriptures speak that sin is so deep that we are so delusional, so self-focused, so much missing the mark that we are running from God. And we need a a reality that exists outside of our sovereign selves. And so that puts it, uh, this matter squarely on the historical claims of Jesus, the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to, I want to read from Luke 15 again where Elijah read before. And I just want, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I won't read the whole passage again. But this is a perfect example of Jesus, a parable from Jesus that I think is going to, uh, should, should really strike a chord with us when we think about our need to be saved. Jesus is telling this, this parable to the Pharisees who refuse to believe uh, that they aren't right with God. But all the other people, 
a bunch of the others, the, the, the people that are around that are the tax collectors and the, the sinners of society and those that are in need or those that are, are, are uh, rejected or those that are outcasts in society are the ones that are hearing Jesus' parable about this lost sheep that has gone astray and run off on his own. And that the shepherd leaves the other 99 to go run after this one that's left. And they're caught up in that grace. They're caught up in the, 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 this idea that, that God has come in the person of Jesus to, to, to rescue them and to bring them back into the people of God and to save them from their sins. And so I think that there's this beautiful picture of uh, what it means to, to see the, how, G, how God sees the world and how God sees us. And I think that we often um, forget that just, just how much we, um, we, we, we need Jesus and how much we need the forgiveness of sins until we read passages like this where we're clearly the ones that have run off and Jesus leaves to come get us. So the first reason we need Jesus is because Jesus is the truth. The second is because we need to be saved. And the third is because he is love, because Jesus is love. You can find all kinds of studies um, all over the, the world that, that show you what happens to children when they don't receive unconditional love and like affection and care from the very beginning of their lives. Um, it's like a, a very fundamental thing that, that, that we need. And it's, when, I, when I look at what happens, there's all sorts of studies about what um, happens to kids and kind of how they view love from that point forward um, when they don't receive it. It actually mirrors a lot of how we often relate to God. And it's really fascinating because I think what happens is um, we, we tend to view God in the, in the way that the children don't receive love and affection and care uh, in, the, in the, like the, the same way. So the first is that we view love as transactional. We view this like, I um, will do this thing for you, and then you will love me back. This is how we view a relationship with God. Because we so desperately want to contribute something to the deal. We want to have faith, or we want to have effort, or we want to have belief, or we want to have love. But God's love meets us where we're at and just asks us to receive. The story of the parable of the lost sheep is this sheep doesn't do anything. Right, but get lost, and Jesus is the one that's that's the searching uh, through the wilderness, that's searching in the in the forest. I'm thinking of this sheep that's about ready to try to cross a river, and and right then the shepherd comes and and rescues it from its eventual drowning. The second thing that that the, the love is often uh, conditional. I think Christians, it's we we think God's love is way more conditional than it is. We, kind of, we find it quite hard to live in a world where we don't get what we deserve. And that's what the gospel says. That's what this passage says. This sheep made the mistake. The sheep ran off. The sheep, you know, in a, in a lot of ways deserves what it's getting, right? But the love of God says we live in a world where we don't get what we deserve. And I think as Christians, and when we talk about the love of God, we're often more comfortable with karma than we are with the love of God. The third thing that we believe about love and what kids that don't receive love also feel is that they, um, they has to be sought after and searched for. 
We believe that we have to find God, but the scriptures are saying and declaring to us that God has come to us. You see how unique that is? Everyone is searching for God in the world, meaning and significance. And the Christian narrative is that God has come to us in the incarnation. God has descended down to be with us. That God is actually looking for us. So it's not that God has rejected us because of sin, that we have rejected God. And God loves us. And he's running after us. And he's looking for us. And the fourth thing is that um, oftentimes when we don't experience the love of God or we have a faulty view of, of love, we, we view love as making you vulnerable or weak, and so we need to resist that love as much as possible. But this passage says that without the love of God, we're lost. We're going to be caught up in the storms. We're going to be pray for all the dangers of the world around us and without hope. So I love this passage because it breaks down our picture of the God that we're trying to find out there. And it says that God has actually descended down. That God is the one that's actually pursuing us. That, that God's love is not, he's not waiting for us to figure things out or to do the right thing or to, to be a good enough person for us to experience his love. But that God is searching after us and pursuing us and running after us. God's love is not conditional, that it extends in the midst of us running away, that God's love has never changed. We have changed. We have run off. We have made ourselves the center, and we have no need for God. And so the love of God is the defining mark of the Christian. That Jesus leaves the 99 as the good shepherd to go find you. And I was just thinking about that this week. Don't we need that? <laughs> I just think about the last year. Think about all, like, like this message to me just seems to fit this last year. Like, I think about all the um, conspiracy <laughs> theories of the last year, the misinformation, the lies, the loneliness, the mental fatigue, the anxiety, the depression, the injustice and inequality we've seen all across our nation and in our world. To me, it shows that there's like this, that our own spirituality isn't working. Our own dreams of a social utopia are implausible. We need more than ever a Christianity that isn't fitted around whatever we think we need, but a historical event outside of our own self-sovereignty. We need the truth that Jesus descended to us, that Jesus showed us what God is like, that he searched and he found us, that he died for our sins, that he rose for the grave. And that's the dream that I have for our community. Our, our, like, and I think our elders do as well, is that we are a, people, a, a group of people that recognize our need. That we're not like the Pharisees who thought we were good enough and surely God is for us. We're the most righteous people. But the grace and forgiveness and the love of God comes to the people that you'd least expect. The people that that we, uh, their looks on the outside seem like they're, they're, they're the, the most far off. Those are the ones that are walking into the kingdom of God because they are the ones that recognize they are the sheep that's gone astray. And so it's my dream that we'd be a community of people that are desperate for Jesus. That that is our defining mark. That, not that we love God, but that he loves us. And that we perceive one, ourselves and one another 
as the very ones that Jesus came for. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.